Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. And welcome, Rebecca, and welcome, Justine and Monica Jean, who just walked in the room. Oh, yay. You sound, uh, you yay. sound good. How, how sound like you, you got Rebecca? some energy. <laughs> yes. Uh, both, of us a, both of us needed a break last week, huh? Yeah, yeah. 
It seems like the whole world needed a break last week. I mean, the energy is swirling and churning, you know, like the cosmic snake churning in the cosmic sea. And so I applaud us for saying, okay, we're just going to sit back on this one and let it all happen. Yes, a lot of people have been concerned, so I'm sure everybody wants to know how you're doing and how um, your stay in the hospital was and all of that. Well, let's put it this way. I did a lot of walking, and Mm -hmm. they said, you have to wear a mask. And I said, well, you know, you tested me for COVID before you let me in the hospital, and I don't have it. And as soon as you got the nasal gastric, too bad if you tested me again, and I don't have it. I said, so I don't need to wear a mask to protect you. And that flimsy little paper mask you give me is never going to protect me. So you give me one good reason to wear one, and I will. So I didn't wear a mask because they couldn't give me any good reason. And then, of course, we had the whole fight about the bare feet, right? Because they want me to be in these silly socks. And I'm like, oh, these socks are so dangerous. I'm going to fall. I need to be in my bare feet. And finally it got to when the new nurse would come on the floor and she'd say, you're not wearing your socks. Some other nurse would grab her and go, just leave her be. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So this is a new telephone number. You are at home now. I am back at home now. This is the new telephone number. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I am back at home. And, of course, there is the my beloved Dr. Carol Long said, you know, Susan, there's just no way that we can operate on you for that many hours and you not have a small bump in your road to recovery. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her because, believe me, it didn't feel like a small bump, right? It seemed like an enormous pothole. But, the, uh, you know, I asked the nurses, and they said, no, really, you know, what you were going through is so minor, Right, partly because there are no infections anywhere in my body, right? Wow, yeah. Mm -hmm. None of my wounds are infected. Yay, Mm. echinacea, right, and the yarrow, and all of the herbal anti-infectives that I have been using and using assiduously. I've been taking four dropperfuls of echinacea every six to eight hours. It's from as soon after the original surgery as I could manage to get to my pouch was was about maybe just about the day before I was leaving the hospital because I really wasn't able to do much for the first week and a half. But since then, I have been on it and using yarrow spray. Again, as soon as I could get my hands on the yarrow sprayer, I brought all these things to the hospital with me. But because I was alone, I decided to focus in on the healing. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I certainly couldn't get out of bed to go and get any of them. So I really had to ask, you know, for help for everything. And the nurses are a little, like, you know, weird-eyed. But this time I had everything with me, right? I had my echinacea. I had my hypericum. I had my dandelion. I had my CBD oil. I had my CBD tincture. I had my marshmallow. I had ginseng. I had a variety of other things just in case I might need them. But those were my mainstay companions. And Mm. so I went because I had pain in my gut and I was throwing up, which seemed like a very bad combination to me. Uh, But Mm -hmm. they kept me because the truth of the matter is they took out so much stuff, including half of my sacrum, my coccyx, and my rectum, that there's a Mm. big hole in my behind, Rebecca. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, of course, they had stitched it shut because they don't just want to leave a gaping hole. 
and I my skin heals so fast. My skin had started to heal over that, and that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. That kind of wound has to heal from the bottom up, so granulation tissue has to form at the bottom and work its way up. And Justine, at our, with our home care, because we're doing very assiduous home care, had noticed that. And she said, there's something really wrong here. I think I'm seeing your bones. I'm like, you can't be seeing my bones because there aren't any bones left there. They cut them all off. So when the plastic surgery team came in and I saw that, they said, oh, dear, 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 you know, we might have to take you back in surgery and do something about this. And I resisted the whole way. And so eventually we just did a couple of bedside procedures with lidocaine. So uh, we are working, uh, we have stabilized that wound. It was never infected, but it wasn't healing the way it needs to heal, and it is now. And with our simple care rather than with their very complex machines that they really wanted me to use. Mm-hmm. So we managed to get out of there without, you know, surgery where I was going to be put out. Like just a really simple laying in my bed. You, you'll feel a small sting when we inject the lidocaine and then a few stitches and just getting everything um, so that it's easy to pack the wound. And the world's mm-hmm. biggest Band-Aid. And the world's biggest Band-Aid, yeah. The world's biggest Band-Aid, you bet. So as I think you can tell from my voice, I'm doing very well. I'm thrilled to be home, back to the healing power of the earth and the breezes of the brilliant summer solstice sun and the the eclipses and the, um, again, just the big changes that are going on um, in our world as people both lose their senses and come to their senses. Right. Yeah, it's really breaking things down right now. Yeah. But everybody's saying no matter nobody's uh, getting out easy right now. It feels like so. Right, and for he, mm-hmm. for us here in the Catskills, it's really the time of flowers: elderflowers, hypericum mm-hmm. flowers, overflowers, linden flowers. Right, everywhere we look, there are flowers to harvest. Yeah, there's so much to harvest right now. <laughs> Trying to keep up, but it's a lot. <laughs> but lindens actually, I went to go harvest it last night, and it wasn't fully in bloom. They are taking their time like coming fully out this year because we had so much rain in June. Uh-huh. Ours are not quite so blooming either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's exciting. Little little I after always... the summer solstice hypericum. And of course, mm-hmm. because we live in a mountainous area, you always have the herbalist time machine. Mhm. Go up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like you yeah, you go t- up and you're back a week and you're go, ah, ha, ha, the thing I missed, it's there now. Wow. <laughs> yes, I have that advantage where I live too. <laughs> but not with the linden because the linden only grows here in town, so you have to be on that one a little bit. <laughs> I'm always keeping my eye out. You saw a really big linden tree in Manhattan, Justine. They're all in bloom. All the lindens in Manhattan and Queens are in bloom. Amazing. Biggest trees mm. I've seen. Yeah, yeah, I bet they have really old ones. You can't even notice them until you can smell them and then you look around. Right, Justine says you don't notice them, but you smell them. They're like giant. But the like blossoms them. are really high up probably on those really big ones. I've noticed that right. on some of the ones around down here. Right, those are American so- basswoods, right, and they bloom only at the top. So oh. you really don't 
But I could smell them as I was walking by and stopped and looked for them. Mm. Right, and they, that's, that's where you get the best with honey, which is a really, it's like comparable to Manuka honey in terms of its healing power. Mm, I haven't seen that one around. I'll have to look for it. But the ones that we all harvest from are the ones that have been dwarfed to grow in cities and malls. Mm-hmm. So they're small. You know, they get, they're like 30, 40 feet. They're really small trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, they, and they're, so they're hanging down where we can get to them. Hooray. I have yes. actually American Bandwidth by my deck, but a tornado took the top off of it. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I forced it to branch out, which is how we can mm-hmm. harvest Because <laughs> it didn't get to have a top. It got naturally pruned for you. It got naturally pruned. Hey, I am so <laughs> excited. Tonight we get to talk to Max Dashu. Mm-hmm. Max Dashu has been around for forever. She, like myself, is one of the foremothers of women's spirituality. And Max does it through images. Max believes, and I do too, that images tell us things that we don't even know we're being told. Mm-hmm. That by teaching women about their ancient history, by looking at images, that we learn different things and in a much deeper way. So I'm mm-hmm. going to be talking to Max tonight, who has the Suppressed Histories Archives. And she's had it for half a century. She's going to be talking about her forthcoming book, Pythias, Melissae, and Pharmacades, Women in Hellenic Culture. She's going to be telling us about the videos that she offers to stream on demand and all of her classes, women's history, heritage, images. And, of course, we will want to talk to her for forever. Come back at 9 o'clock. I'll be talking with Max Dashu then. Yeah, looking forward to that so much. I got to meet Max last year and see her one of her presentations and all of the images, and it's so cool because, you know, it is all of that very receptive, intuitive goddess imagery that really brings about, like, this, you know, uh, old remembrance or something that you're like, oh, yeah, there's something so deep to this and so mysterious because it's all been hidden, like she says. I don't suppose there's any people. I don't suppose there's any people with questions tonight. There are. Um, if you have a question for Susan, make sure to press one to speak with her. And our first caller is coming from the two one two area code. Hi, is that me? Hello. Hello. Yes, that's. Hi, Susan. It's Lauren from the waters of New York City. You know, Lauren, after I opened that envelope with all the hearts on it, I decided I could no longer call you Lauren Lesser. I had to call you Lauren Greater. (laughs) This wonderful woman, Lauren, sent me an envelope that when I opened it, it exploded with shiny red hearts all over. Do you know that I found that there were hearts on the floor of Gordon's after I left today? (laughs) <laughs> they're all over the room where we have talking stick, right? And they stick to our clothes, and we're dropping small red hearts wherever we go. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> You're so, so welcome, my strong, beautiful teacher. <laughs> you are so welcome. <laughs> what did you call to ask about or talk about tonight? I called because I'm having an actual issue that I am 
less scared about than I was Saturday. I remembered what I've been through and what I know and what you've gone through and what you've taught me and how you've helped me. I've been having vaginal bleeding, very light in color and amount. Um, May have been something going on for longer than I have seen it. Uh, The last time I hemorrhaged, if you remember, was 2010, and then I had my last irregular period that year or the year after. I've made an appointment with um, some unknown gynecologist in this neck of the woods for a week from tomorrow, and I'm calling, hoping you can tell me what to listen for, what tests might be useful, what herbal support I should be looking at, and how I can be open to whatever this process is. Okay, so it's probably not vaginal bleeding. It's probably uterine bleeding. Mm, mm-hmm. Right? Probably, if yes. It was vaginal ble- Hello? Hello? If it was vaginal bleeding, it would be bright red blood, right? Because right. Because the vagina would be cut and bleeding in some way. Yeah, no, no, it's, yeah. So it's uterine bleeding. Right. And any time when you're past menopause that your uterus is bleeding, that shouldn't be happening. Right, Exactly. Just right out, right up top, that should not be happening. It mm-hmm. could be benign, and it could mm-hmm. be cancer. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I think, oh, my God, this could be cancer, the first thing I'm going to do is start taking mushrooms. If you're not already mm-hmm. taking something like um, My Community or Five Defenders or some mushroom blend, because mm-hmm. the mushrooms work much better synergistically. Mm-hmm. So a blend now, of five or more mushrooms is going to get you more bang than taking a single mushroom. Okay, so what kind of, what is this? Is that liquid? What is that? What form is it? So there's two major companies that supply medicinal mushrooms. Uh-huh. One is called <clears throat> Real Mushrooms. Uh-huh. And one of their mixed products is called Five Defenders. Uh-huh. And it comes both as a powder and I believe as a tincture. Uh-huh. These are mushrooms grown in China but grown organically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they are actual ground up mushrooms. Great. Okay. And how much the other is a company run by Paul Stammy mm-hmm. called Fungi Perfecti. Uh-huh. And he does not grow the mycelium out to actual fruiting bodies. He uses the mycelium. Oh. Paul is a scientist himself, and scientific studies have been done on his products, and they have been shown to be highly effective. Mm-hmm. Of course, there is a bit of a war between them, with one saying, mm-hmm, they grow their things in China, and the other going, mm-hmm, they don't even grow mushrooms at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not going to you know, lean in one way or the other on them. To tell you the truth, I use both. It sounds good. Not what necessarily at the same time, but I use both because I figure, hey, a little of this, a little of that. If sure. I'm dealing with something serious, I need a little of this, a little of that. So working better together, why not use both? Right. How right. much? How much? How much? How much? Well, kind of... you know, you're going to have to ask your body. Yeah. They come with recommended doses. And uh-huh. I perfect, I also sell the mycelium powdered and tincture of the mycelium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, and I use... Fungi Perfecti tincture, Fungi Perfecti powder, and Five Defenders powder. I, I, that's why I'm uncertain whether or not they actually have tincture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
also because I've used Fungi Perfecti turkey tail tincture. Mm. And I do that because that um, was one of the things that was used in a study. Mm-hmm. It's very good results. Okay. As well as the powders. When I'm traveling or when I'm not at home, I find the tinctures, of course, far easier to deal with than the powders. Right, right. Right. The powders really are powders, and keep them away from your phone, because if these very fine powders get in your phone, your phone is not salvageable. Oh, boy. Okay. Right? Your camera, too, right? Fine electronics does not like mushroom powders. Uh Uh-huh. Ho-ho, right? Um, And, again, you know, let your body be your guide. You can start out taking a small amount, and... See, things that might be offered to you would be things as benign as a uterine biopsy or a sonogram mm-hmm. and things as dangerous as a CAT scan or an MRI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good first choices are that biopsy or and or sonogram. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, one of the ways I've learned to talk to doctors is not to say, no, I don't want that, but, you know, I need some time to think about that. Right. Right, so, you know, or I might say something like, is this test absolutely needed right now and why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so that I have, you know, something to say, okay, well, it's not absolutely needed now. And mm-hmm. it's because of your curiosity, so let's just put it off for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. Good. And Good. endometrial biopsy is semi-invasive in the same way um, that anything that goes through the cervix is semi-invasive. but. Right. Rarely done with any kind of anesthesia. Uh-huh. In in-office procedure, it can be pretty easily done. When I've had endometrial biopsies, there's always been a nurse there to hold my hand. So when I go ooh ooh ooh, she goes ooh ooh ooh. Uh-huh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and that always very helpful. Yes. <laughs> and then you take it from there. Yeah. 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 Your biopsy is negative, your biopsy is positive, and then you say, okay, what next? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you could choose to do next, if you haven't already, is to check out my a cancer diagnosis, the Wise Woman Way, at wisewomanschool.com. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I hope that you'll let me know one way or the other. Pretty much can count on that. <laughs> Thank you, Laura and the greater. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful teacher. Thanks for being here. And I love you so much. I love you, and I send you all my support and gratitude and love. Thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings to you. So glad to think of you at home. Me too. <laughs> yes. Okay, we have a couple callers from the 845 area code. Uh, The prefix on this one is 679. Is Tatiana, is that me? Hi. Hi. Hi, Susan. Um, I had um, a story last week. It started with uh, severe pain in my uh, upper left shoulder and uh, chest. Uh, not just shoulder blade and neck. 
and uh, the upper arm. Uh, a lot of pain for about four days. So on Friday, I uh, I really freaked out, and uh, I called. Uh, my doctor, and as I told you, I stopped taking the medication seven weeks ago, and I kept doing what you told me to do, the infusions and uh, motherwort and hawthorn. And um, when I called, I really didn't want to call, but I didn't know what else to do at the time, and I got the nurse, uh, and then I told her, I said, I can't take this medication because I stopped it. It makes me very dizzy and drowsy and sickly. But um, um, I will take half of it. <laughs> was trying to negotiate my way. And she she said, uh, all right, um, call me in a few days and tell me how you feel. Uh, I wasn't very reassured uh, by the spill because I have problems with medication, as you know well. So I called Dr. Eos, who is an alternative alternative medicine MD, and um, whom I saw in the past for my shingle pain. And I told her what's happening, and she sent to... uh, um, homeopathic remedies, one called Cardiodoron and the other Belladonna, and told me to take the drops, and uh, she said I can take everything else that I am taking up to now. And uh, that also, um, I realized anything that I take in drops does not do miracles, so I, I needed some relief from the pain because I didn't know what to do with it. So I called the Reiki long-distance master, Maureen, who is so wonderful, and she prayed for me, and uh, I did feel better. Uh, The pain was less horrible, and still I feel it, but uh, not so terrible. And um, also um, the blood uh, pressure dropped from the 162 that scared the hell out of me to to the, my usual, which is between 130 and 140, and when I am very quiet, 120. Um, so um, I am um, kind of unhappy to take so many things, and what I would like to hear from you is what do you think about this? Well, I think it's very interesting how many things um, you, like most people, wind up doing in mind medicine. I call mind medicine the shaman's playground. And there are so many rides in the shaman's playground that it's hard not to go from one ride to the other without really stopping and saying, you know, these are all just part of the same thing, homeopathy, Reiki, uh, prayer, visualization, um, they're, they're all the same thing. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, it, it pays to shop around a little bit and see which part of mind medicine seems to sync with you. I have um, 
a friend who's the husband of a very dear friend, and he um, offered me a code word that I could use to get in touch with him to help relieve annoying and disturbing pain. And it's interesting the pain has to actually get to a certain level before I remember the code word. And then when I use that, that works for me. But I then don't, on top of it, seek out other mind medicine because I have a mind medicine that works. So I say to myself, what's your story medicine here, Susan? And what lifestyle medicine are you using? And what serenity medicine is really effective here? So there was a time when I was in very acute pain, and I talked to my friend, and she said, is there any part of your body that isn't in pain? And I said, yes, the tip of my nose. She said, live there. And that I was actually able to do. And in a way, that's mind medicine, but I think of it as serenity medicine. Instead of feeling like poor little rabbit grabbed up by a wolf, Right, I was able to serenely inhabit the tip of my nose, and the tip of my nose, in fact, became the whole universe. So this is why I wrote Abundantly Well, to help us see that serenity medicine and story medicine and mind medicine, although they touch each other, and there are places where we can say, hmm, is that mind medicine or story medicine? Or is that story medicine or serenity medicine? Certainly, you know, there are always little watercolor blurs along the edges. But nonetheless, they are three distinct kinds of medicine. And that, like m- many people, you came into this through pharmaceutical medicine and backed off from the pharmaceutical medicine to alternative medicine. And that we remember that alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and deep medicine always injure our health. So when you say, I don't like taking so many things, um, that would, to me, be very appropriate if those many things were drugs. Mm-hmm. But if those many things are herbs, it would rather be like saying, oh, excuse me, there's too many different options here at the grocery store. So long as we're using lifestyle medicine and and mind medicine and story medicine and serenity medicine, the many things that you are taking don't sound like that many to me. Okay. Um. But if you want to cut down, the place to cut down would be in mind medicine. If somebody's doing... Reiki for you, then you don't need prayer. If somebody's praying for you, you don't need homeopathy. If you're doing homeopathy, you you know you don't necessarily need the other ones. I'm not saying they wouldn't work, but if you're asking to do less or to cut down, that would be the place to do it. Well, I you know I I got used to take uh, the um, mother word. Ward and and Hawthorne for since November last year, so. Um, and you may find that you want to ally with for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I I wonder. Uh, a friend of mine said, you know, the solar eclipse is usually a time of uh, of big commotion, and. 
I don't know if the solar eclipse was on Friday or whenever. Uh, the other aspect of what's happening with me is that I get pains of the people I know, uh, and this is not new. Uh, this is through my lifetime. Though now that I am retired, uh, I have more time to to realize that I don't know always which pain is whose. And uh, I did find out after this uh, event that a person I care about and who prays for me was in the emergency room, which I said, I'm not going to the emergency room because I don't want anything invasive and I don't want medication. It's a really wonderful book by Stephen Levine, L-E-V-I-N-E, called Who Dies? Who Dies? Question dies, and in it are three meditations on pain, in which rather than fighting against the pain, you go into the pain and into the heart of the pain. I highly recommend this, especially because you're saying that you pick up on other people's pain, which, let's yeah. face it, um, is not going to be amenable to the usual roots of pain relief. So rather than yeah. trying to leave those pains, what I'm suggesting you do is that you learn how to enter the heart of the pain. I usually do breathing, uh, a very gentle breathing uh, and, and sending healing blue light into the, pain, into the pain. But because this lasted for so long, I was concerned that this is like a, a preview of a heart attack. I didn't know. Don't get a preview of heart attacks. Yeah, uh, I was told that if my left side starts hurting, if I pay pain in the chest and that, uh, that's uh, uh, many times um, uh, a premonition that the heart attack is coming. That, that's what freaks me out. Does that help you to be freaked out? Well, I was freaked out many times in my life, but now because I'm 78, um I'm not sure Ask that <laughs> right now if that story serves you. Yeah. Yeah. Does the story that this pain is telling me sometime in the future I will have a heart attack, does that serve you well? No. No. Then let us cancel our subscription to it. Yeah, it scares me. Do you like that? Yeah. You like yeah. being scared? I, no, I, I like letting go of it. But I have so many going on uh, from but different basic directions. underlying truth. But basic underlying truth. Yes, I love being scared. Yes, I love being worried that I might die from a heart attack. Yes, it gives my life real meaning, Susan. Um, Without fear, who would I be? Without this fear... What, what, of what purpose would my life be if I wasn't afraid I was going to die? This is what I hear from you week after week, you know. Uh, well, I want to tell you that dying of a heart attack is, is a very great gift from God, in my opinion, because... There you go. So let's stop worrying about it and just say, I might die of a heart attack. It's a good day to die. Yeah, I, I am saying that. You know, there right. are many... There is a, so let's, a let, let it rest. <laughs> I think what you're doing is excellent. 
I think there's a possibility that you might die because guess what? Yeah. As soon as you're born, you are going to die. Yes. When and how Elizabeth Kubler-Ross used to say to us, we all have an expiration date, and it's stamped on your buttock where you can't see it. Some people have a diagnosis, and their expiration date is on their chest where everybody can see it, but we're all going to die. Right, but this is a mental this is a mental area, and then there are emotions. Right, and that's what I'm saying is, if it's a mental area, yeah, I'm I've had it with talking to you about it because I feel like we're going around the same merry-go-round week after week, and there's a lot of other people who'd like to talk to me. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, sir. I'm not saying I won't talk to you, but let's talk about something different. All right. Green blessings. Thanks a lot. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 541 area code. Hi. Is that me? Hello? Yes. Hey. You in the 541? Um, so, yeah, 541-246. Yeah. Um, I have a question about eyes and eye drops. I'm actually um, in Puerto Rico right now. And I just realized that I've had um, a little bit of inflammation in the corners of my eyes that I'm realizing is what's called a pterygium, which I guess is benign growth due to um, exposure to lots of sun and irritants. Um, And I was doing some reading of some things that could potentially help it, including turmeric, including castor oil drops, um, and including MSN, sulfur drops. And um, I am just reading this online, but I'm wondering about the idea of making my own eye drop, um, the potential of combining all of those components into a single eye drop, um, and just like considerations and dangers, um, doing eye washes, things like that. You know, I like to start out simple. So one of the things you suggested was MSN, right? Yeah. So where are you going to harvest that? Well, MSM is a it's a sulfur. Yeah, I know. Where um, are you going to harvest okay. it? I I was going to probably buy it as a powder. Buy it. I it's didn't a know drug. It. It's a drug. If you have to go out and buy it, it's a drug. Right. Okay. okay. So that's not where I would start. Okay. Castor oil. Are are you going to be able to get castor oil easily? I yes, I bought some. Most people um, can get castor oil pretty easily. Um, is yeah. the eye compatible with oil going in it? Are most eye drops based on oil? Um, I don't think so. They're no, saline, I certainly right? would never put oil in my eyes. I might moisten a pad or a gauze with castor oil and gently apply it to my eye with my eyelid closed. Mm-hmm. And then you also suggested turmeric. Right. It actually should be growing in, in uh, Puerto Rico. And yep. so fresh turmeric could also make a wonderful eye poultice. But it will stain your eyes yellow and you will look pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So what could, we, what could we think of that's simpler? Cucumber is renowned around the world for relieving any soreness in the eyes. You take a cucumber and slice it slant ways so that it kind of looks like an eye and put that 
thin slice of cucumber on your closed eyelid. And you won't turn yellow. A little okay. salt in water. Right? Just take some warm water, dissolve some salt in it. Again, soak a gauze or a pad in that saline solution, in that salt water. If you feel comfortable about using ocean water, there's certainly a lot of ocean around um, Puerto Rico. But that's what right. we're doing by adding salt to water is making ocean water and using that as a soak from the ice. So do you see how we're getting simpler and simpler and simpler? Right. Rather than, hey, this is what the Internet says I can go out and buy, let me mix it all together and spend the maximum amount of money and be the best possible consumer, what I'm suggesting, and I will admit I failed Consumerism 101. So I'm suggesting we don't be consumers, that we be participants that we use the simplest, nearest at hand, effective, simple remedies. And so you're suggesting more topical, like on the eyelid, as opposed to any sort of drops or washes inside the eye itself? Absolutely. I thought you said this was going on at the corners of your eyes from sun exposure. on my eyeball, yeah. Uh, so your like, eyeball is sunburned? It's a, it's a growth uh, kind of of like the whites of my eyes, and on one eye it's starting to creep onto the iris a little bit. So it's, it's on the eyeball itself. And do you think the eyelid is so thick that the um, constituents won't get through it? Ah, uh, okay. No, I didn't realize that. I didn't think of that. That would work. Yeah. 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 I'll start with the yeah, start with the castor oil on the eyelid with that consideration for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um okay. so then I guess like yeah, so my question And hey, um, needless about needless to say you're now wearing sunglasses all the time. Of course, and <laughs> goggles, yeah. Um okay. so I guess my question about um yeah, about making your own eye drop and it sounds like um from your your um, experience and knowledge is that that's not really a good approach for eye conditions. I prefer to use external applications. Yes, you're correct. Okay. Okay, great. I, Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. Bye. Um, the next caller is coming from the 415 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm so thrilled to be home. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I sent an email a while ago, and I uh, then was advised that you do this show, so here I am. Uh, I have a question uh, about I've had some pretty severe vaginal dryness, and um, also, at the same time, there's sort of that, uh, that fishy smell that I, uh, I really uh, dislike and shouldn't be there. And so I, I finally um, looked at some uh, suppositories. I mean, I, 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 I am, you know, taking some probiotics, all of that. So 
um, I decided, well, you are I have an organism called Trichomonas, and probiotics uh-huh. is not much at all. It's characterized okay. by a fishy smell and a discharge. In my book down there, I talk about possible ways to get rid of it, but it's not easy. Uh-huh. Okay. Is there a natural way to do it versus doing it with In my with, book uh, down chemical? there, I talk about possible ways to get rid of it. I don't have that book with me right here where I am. I know that one of them is to use activated charcoal and to stuff your vagina with activated charcoal. Now, activated charcoal is black, and it gets everything black. It's going to get your bedding black, your towels black, <laughs> your black, your clothing black, your underwear black, your legs black. But it okay. can smother the trichomonas. Even the drugs that doctors use, there's no guarantee they're going to kill the trichomonas. Plants okay. with berberine are considered to be highly effective, but again, trichomonas is a very difficult organism to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And this is why, rather than saying, oh, try this or that, that I suggest that you borrow or buy a copy of Down There and read yep. through the section, which is probably three pages, about possible remedies that can help women with trichomonas. Great. Okay. All and right. again, I apologize um, for not knowing them all by heart. If um, if I was at my usual place where I'm doing consultations, I have my stack of books right there, and I would read a few of them to you. But I have offered you a couple of them. There are homeopathic remedies. There's a variety. You know, there's all of the different medicines, and they were laid out there so that you can have a good look at all of them and see what might work for you. But again, probiotics isn't going to work. Okay. Got it. So um, so you think suppositories wouldn't do it? Absolutely won't touch it. Okay, very well. Okay, that's great to know. Um, so I, I will go from there. Thank you. All righty. Great blessings. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have quite a few callers on here, but if you uh, nobody has their hand raised currently, if you have a question, please press 1 to speak with Susan. And I will wait for somebody to queue up here. I've been, been talking to Green Goddess Apprentice applicants, and it is shaping up to look like one of the best Green Goddess Apprentice Weeks ever. Eagle Song is coming in to help me cook and to support me in taking care of the goods, and I'm so excited that she has offered to do that. It's really uh, made me feel very secure um, and, of course, Yvette and Whitefeather are totally on board and are just thrilled at the women who are applying and the depth of their commitment to their power as women and to not just empowering mm. themselves but to taking it home and empowering other women. Nice. That's awesome. And, yeah, because uh, Eagle Song also offers the when you went out there, the Green Goddess Week um, in Washington, right? So she's exactly. very familiar with yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. Well, when is what week is that? It's it begins August third, but I'm asking everybody to come at least by August second who's been accepted as a green And there might be one or two more places. There's um a couple of women who are kind of on the edge about it and um 
certainly one, perhaps two places open. So if you've been thinking about it, this is the absolute last opportunity to apply Mm -hmm. to be a Green Goddess Apprentice this year. It's an opportunity, though. Really cool that you're going to run through with it. (laughs) And it's a lot of terror. Mm -hmm. Things get very intense. Mm -hmm. Well, that's amazing that you're open to holding space after what you've been through this year. So I always I admire you the way you've been showing up through this. It's really cool. Thanks, Rebecca. Well, I mean, it was you're in the hospital the other day and you're like, you know, talking to me on there. And I was like, I was worried about you, but then you're like, you know, helping me through this process. And I, and I'm just really thankful for that because it was really helpful to me, even though it's been really hard to, you know, set boundaries with my kid's dad, but you know, like it's really enraging him when I start cutting those ties to him, you know, and he doesn't have that power control. And, um, I don't know. I just really appreciated that because it's giving me my power back, though. And you yeah, just are to... you are <laughs> welcome because mm-hmm. that's that's the path forward is to yeah. cut those ties and say, okay, this is it, right? I, I'm really mm-hmm. right. There, there was no way. One of my teachers actually made me visualize chakra by chakra the things that were tied to my chakras and. I don't think of myself as very creative and mm-hmm. imagine it, right? Um, but what I saw when I went into chakras, it was amazing. There were like bow ties and there were snaps, right? And there were like braids and there were hooks and eyes and there were barbed hooks and there were harpoons and there were just all the different ways that things and people and emotions I had allowed to be attached to my chakras. Mm-hmm. And her instruction was you ha- that I had to cut all the cords. I had to cut all the mm-hmm. ta, she called it. And, uh, you know, at, at my root chakra, which she suggested I do first, um, I stopped and I went, you know, went to her and I said, well, my parents are there in my root chakra. I'm not going to cut the cords with them. And she said, it's not a you choose this one, you choose that one. You really have to do it all, and you have to trust that the connections that sustain you will come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It, it was during that process, which took me months, going through my chakras and cutting all those cords, because some of them I was very attached to, you know. It was at, mm-hmm. at, during that process that I saw this, like, huge, like, tube that had been attached to my throat, and it was siphoning off my words. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was my first understanding that someone had taken something I had written and was publishing it under her own name. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. And very big and scary. It was like an umbilical cord. And so I treated it like an umbilical cord. I tied it in two places and cut it because I was afraid I would hemorrhage and I would never be able to speak again. Mhm. Yeah, I've had some interesting experiences through this whole breakup of having like my heart shackled and um breaking free of that and yeah. <laughs> and then like yeah. in like the real world of it. I mean, like in this like reality like it coming, you know, like as that's happening, he's like becoming so 
like enraged like at like me like uh liberating myself you know and it's just really interesting like the stuff that's coming up i can totally relate <laughs> so keep yourself strong keep yourself connected to the earth and yeah. uh, neither enjoy nor fear his rage mhm yeah yeah i mean it's hard. It's like I start shaking when he gets close to me, you know. <laughs> and I have to be in the. I have my office at the house, and I have like all my kids, and you know. And it's like I so we're still very much in this like um, uh, unraveling phase right now. Very much so. Very much so. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. doesn't come easily. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. lines in a poem that I wrote about a big breakup was. I've looked at the world so long through the lens of you and I that the glasses have melted to my face and I don't know how to get rid of them without tearing my face off. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It sounds painful. <laughs> it's painful. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But mm-hmm. each step, each step the earth is under you, each step the earth is there for you. Oh, yeah, and I've been totally relying on the earth and doing a lot of barefoot in the forest and, you know, being in my teepee and stuff like that. It's been super healing. Good for you, Rebecca. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. You're um, Yeah, we've had a few people queue up with questions, though, so we can move on and go to the caller in the 352 area code. Hi, Susan. This is Carol from Tennessee. How are you? I am home. Hooray. What's up, Carol? Hooray. Yes, I um, contracted a MRSA infection on my leg. Um, I had two small burns, and then I took my grandchildren to a lake. And I, I'm assuming it happened there, but it went from healing to it turned really fast. Could you tell me about MRSA and what you would suggest for it? That's my question. Okay. What I suggest for it is going in a lake where it exists. I think what you want is things that I suggest against it. That's correct. Okay. Our body believes every word we say, so if you're asking for something for it, your body's going to believe that. We really have to ask uh, for something. I'm, I'm, thank you. And I always think about how I'm going to phrase my questions to you and then I get on here. Uh, yes, so we, you know, and it's j- just kind of a, a figure of speech, but it's a figure of speech. But that I do appreciate that correction because I... You're it's right. Not, what we not even a correction. It's just you know a way that I've trained myself to understand um, how I can actually get the most benefit from mind medicine is to really speak clearly to myself at least for the start. So uh, MRSA is also called you know the flesh-eating bacteria, and it's um, an antibiotic-resistant infection. Um, fortunately, um, the bacterial infections have not yet learned how to be resistant to herbs because herbs are not a single thing. They're a complex of many different compounds. So there are a great many plants that I use that help counter infection. And um, I have a first aid course, and I just taught a first aid class here at the Wise Woman Center. And it was fun because we were laying on the grass and, of course, One of the first plants that we saw was plantain, and then the very second plant that we saw was yarrow. Now, yarrow is one of the world's most powerful anti-infective agents. I make quarts of yarrow 
tincture from the flowering white tops of yarrow every year, and I use it in a huge variety of ways. But one of my favorite ways to do it is to put it in a spray bottle and to spray it directly into and on wounds. Yarrow has okay. a variety of effects on wounds in addition to being... I, I have a quart of yarrow tincture that I put In addition up, so. to being highly antibacterial, it also encourages wound healing. It uh, quickens the granulation cell cycle, and it is numbing. Excellent. So it counters pain. Yes, I mean, wow, what a fantastic wound healer. Okay. As you know, I had major surgery and um, was just back in the hospital for a little while, and one of the things they were very concerned with was in very deep wounds that I have where they removed quite a bit of soft tissue as well as my coccyx and lower sacrum. So there's a pretty big hole in me. And the doctors were scratching their heads and going, how come this isn't infected? And the reason it's not infected is that I have been spraying yarrow tincture on it several times a day from the moment I'm home from recovering from the surgery. And so it is not infected, even though I've been in hospitals where they're bad bacteria. Right. Also been supporting my immune system by taking echinacea tincture internally regularly and by continuing to take my mushroom blends which are immune support. Well thank you very, very much. I I, I, I hope that things I mean, work. Uh, yeah, I've got the yeah, I didn't even think it spread that on there. Thank you very much. You I are so that, welcome Susan. and Thanks I would love it if you would call us back in two or three weeks and let us know how it's going. Would you do that? It would be my pleasure. Thank you so much. Green blessings. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 510 area code. Oh, hello. Hi. Hey, I got on. It wasn't working with my other number, so this is great. Um, thanks. So I have a... A kind of a handful of little questions, if maybe I can kind of just start at the top of my little list here and see how far we can get. Um, my first question is about St. John's Wort um, infusion, because St. John's no. Wort is listed. No. 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 Oh, no. Okay. Okay. No. No, you do okay. not infuse St. John's Wort. No. It's used as a tincture or oil. Okay. End of discussion. Okay. Does that have to do with photosensitivity? Absolutely. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> what should I do with my pound of it then? <laughs> I bought it and then realized, wait, this might not be good. Can I can make tincture with the dry, I guess. No. No, yeah. Okay. It's going to say it makes a nice addition to your compost pile. Okay. <laughs> well, there's there went that. That's fine. Okay, another question is about echinacea powder. I have a feeling there's nothing to do with this, but I have a pound of echinacea angustifolia powder. Is there anything I can do with that? You can make a tincture, but it's awkward to make a tincture from the powder. Okay, yeah, because you can't really... So you would it. fill a jar about 25% full of the powder and then slowly add vodka shaking. So you'd add vodka to, you know, about double the, right, so the jar's about half full, and shake it really hard. And then make mm-hmm. the jar 
quarters of the way full and shake it really hard. And then make the jar almost full and shake it really hard. And then keep shaking it two or three times a day. Oh, because okay. otherwise powder is just going to settle and kind of like, oof. Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. When we are working with the fresh plant, we have a huge variety of different compounds in the plant. And some of those are in the watery part, and when we dry the plant, we lose those. And those tend to be the more nutritive and tonifying parts of the plant. The more poisonous parts of the plant tend to be more able to survive drying. When we powder a plant, we are exposing more surface area to our menstruum if we're making a tincture to our alcohol. And that alcohol then has a better chance to get more poisons in it. The higher the proof of alcohol that we use, the more of the poisons the alcohol is going to be able to get. So when we want Mm -hmm. to make an herb as drug-like as possible, then we powder it and pour 199 proof or grain alcohol over it. And some tincture manufacturers put that powder into a large funnel that has like a filter, like a, a coffee filter in it, and just pour the alcohol through and let it drip through rather than letting it sit together. And they may do that one or more times, depending on the strength of the tincture that they want. And they will very carefully measure and weigh and decide on a ratio of how much dry matter to how much wet matter. And you can sometimes see that on the tincture bottle. This is a one-to-one or a one-to-two or whatever it is. Many of my herbal compatriots, in the beginning, rather made fun of me for making echinacea root tincture with 100-proof vodka because they said, well, you know, the alkaloids are alcohol-soluble, and the greater the amount of alcohol, the more alkaloids you'll get, until later scientific research found that some of the most active constituents in the echinacea are water-soluble. So I use the shredded or cut and sifted root rather than the powdered root because it makes an easier tincture if I'm going to use the dried root. It is always my preference to use the fresh root, but I don't grow it. Mm-hmm. I do have a student or two who harvest it for me now and then, and I very much appreciate them. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, of course, you know, what I use for myself. Right? The stuff I make from the dried plants is what I'm more likely to use for the goats because they take a lot more than I do. Right. But we'll use both <laughs> of them. And it's not that you can't make something from the powder, but it may not be exactly what you had in mind. Yeah. But it's fun to mess around with herbs anyhow. It is, yeah. (laughs) Um, Another little question I've had for a while is, uh, you know, I took like a course with a local herbalist, and she talked about vinegars, and she said to always use dry herb making a vinegar because with the fresh herb, the water can kind of go bad in the vinegar. And that seems not like what you teach, and I'm wondering if that is just total nonsense. I always pasteurize my vinegar. It's not the water in the plant. It's the organisms in the vinegar. Oh, because she wants to use non-pasteurized vinegar. Okay. Right. She wants to use so-called raw vinegar. So now we're going to lose, you know, when you dry an aromatic herb, you can lose between 40 and 75% of the aromatic compounds in the plant 
Mm-hmm. So this, again, is why I use fresh plants, but I do pasteurize the vinegar simply by bringing it to a boil, letting it cool, and pouring it back in the jar, putting a lid on it, and now I have pasteurized vinegar ready to use. Mm-hmm. And then, I cannot so give any good reason about... to use raw vinegar. Really? So many people think that it's so great. So, so many? So many, really? So many? Not well, so many. I, I feel like that's Good you. all I've read. Okay. All you've read? No. The people who are trying to sell their vinegar. Mm-hmm. I pay about $3 for a gallon of good quality vinegar. How much is that raw stuff oh, going yeah. for? Last I looked, it was between 8 and $10 a pint. Oh, yeah, something like that, I guess. Yeah. So it's $75 hmm. to $100 a gallon for what I'm paying $3 for. Of course those people are going to try to convince you the raw is better. Well, I've you know, I've also read it in, like, books about fermentation and that kind of stuff. They're not selling their own vinegar. But, um, yes, but they're not making remedies with it. They're drinking it. Yeah, right. And what are you drinking? If it's fermentation, what you're doing is you're drinking yeast and bacteria. Yeah. That's exactly why we don't use it to make remedies. Right. We don't want to pour yeast and bacteria on our herbs. Okay. Interesting. Thank you. Um, If I I can, however... I I think I'm getting more by making herbal vinegar than I would by using raw vinegar. Yeah, totally. I have access to raw vinegar. I make apple cider. It turns into vinegar. I have plenty of raw vinegar around. I never use it. Yeah. The vinegar itself is very extractive of minerals. So if I take a plant like peppermint and put it in vinegar... I can get up to 100 milligrams of calcium per serving. Wow. Bacteria and yeast are easy to get. Calcium isn't. So I'm going to use my vinegar pasteurized to extract minerals and get my yeast and bacteria from bread and yogurt and water kefir and sauerkraut and miso and good quality shoyu and mushrooms and all those other things, right? Right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Cool. All righty. And one more short question. Okay. okay. Oh, I have to – which one should I choose? Um, This one – Um, I guess, okay, and a, a short one Um, would be just a curiosity about these um, nourishing herbal – infusions that I've been really into for a few months and drinking at least one every day and realizing, you know, a lot of them are diuretics. And I'm just, at first I seem... Okay, so wait, we're talking about five herbs, yes? Yeah, I mean, I've added like plantain now and then, and but yeah, mostly your... So when you say a lot of them are diuretic, could we be clear about that? Are you saying that linden is diuretic? Humphrey. No, three of them, right? <laughs> three. So half are diuretic. I don't find any of them diuretic. The be- really? So I did at the beginning, and I had a really intense experience with the red at clover. At the beginning, metal most- rings excess water from your cells. 
But if yeah. you continue to drink it, you will have no more excess water in your cells, and it does not act as a diuretic. A diuretic forces your kidneys to excrete urine and minerals, especially potassium, even at the detriment to the body. Oh. That's what a diuretic does. Nettle is not a diuretic. Nettle clears excess fluid from your cells, and once that's done, then it doesn't do it anymore. Right. Yeah, it does seem to be going down for me, uh, the amount that of water I'm losing. Um, but wh- what about red clover? I would not go, and I don't think Comfrey does that at all, but Comfrey does yeah. increase the flexibility of all of the coatings and tubes in your body, and that can allow you, again, to urinate more easily, but not because Comfrey's a diuretic. Mm-hmm. And then are you saying oat straw or red clover is a diuretic? I thought that red clover was. I, I mean, I've read that. Red clover is an astringent. I've... It works the okay. opposite of a diuretic. Oh, okay. It tightens tissues. Okay. Well, then I won't worry about that. I would be happy if you didn't worry. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Great. Okay, I'm going to try to call back another day with my fl- more you. complex questions. <laughs> call back again. Thanks. Sorry, the next next caller is coming from the 775 area code. Hello, Green Blessings, hi. Okay, we'll come back to them if we have time. The next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Hello. Hi. What's up tonight? Hi, Susan. It's so nice to talk to you. Um, I just wanted to really quickly say that I really appreciate you, and I feel like I've learned so much after, of, over the last three years just um, listening to you every week. And, yeah, just thank you so much for offering this to all of us. You're welcome. And let's thank my daughter, too. Because, yes, you know, I had, I had a series of experiences. I never really wanted to do consultations with people, but I felt obliged, you know. It's kind of like you're an herbalist. You have to consult with people. And then one year, the grandmothers were very clear with me that I had to live outside all summer. And I really isolated mm-hmm. myself. And when somebody who was getting a, having a consultation with me would come, the apprentices directed them to walk this far, turn this way, walk that far, that way, and then call my name. And more than half of the people just turned around and laughed. And I thought, isn't that interesting? The universe is telling me that maybe I don't have to do consultations. So I thought Mm -hmm. I could just keep doing that. But then I started to feel like, oh, you know, it wasn't fair to the apprentices that they didn't actually get to see herbal medicine in action. So, And, of course, people would always come up to me at awkward times and say, what can I do about my this, that, or the other thing? So I thought the perfect answer would be to say, I'll answer your question for free if you call me at this time. And I would just have people call me on Tuesday night, and I would answer their questions. Now, the great thing for me about that was if there weren't apprentices living with me, I didn't have to do it. And if dinner was late, then I just didn't answer the first few callers. 
Um, but what my daughter didn't like about it was that it all went right out the window. Mm. So she brilliantly uh, created this blog talk show where many, many more people can participate um, and where it's archived. Yes, it's amazing. So all all of it stays. Um, I still don't appreciate that I have to do it, you know, at the right time all the time. But, you know, yeah. that's the prices you pay. And, hey, <laughs> Rebecca and I pulled the plug last week. We both just went, ah, I can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it, right? But most of the time yeah. we just ante up and say, okay, it's that time again. Because I, too, like that it's archived and that it's there and that people can use it and that people all over the world benefit now. So I'm very happy that she um, decided that we should do a blog talk show instead of just talking to people on the phone. Yeah, and I learn very well. I mean, so a lot of the time you're repeating certain concepts, and so it's really nice because it helps me learn them very well, and I just love hearing all your stories and all of the, um, yeah, everything you have to share with us. So thank you so much for doing it. You are so welcome. You know, the first time I realized there was a student in class who'd heard one of my stories, and I panicked, and I thought, I can't tell that story again. And then I thought back to my childhood, where I really, like, was unbearable to my parents because I wanted only one story read to me over and over again. <laughs> and how much in stories we like to have things repeated. Fee, fi, fo, fum, you know? And I thought, yeah. you know what? Part of, part, of the, part of the treasure of a story is repetition. So go with Absolutely. it. Be yes. willing to say it again because they're really willing to hear it again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and you get more and more out of out of every telling, that's for sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks, yeah. Um, so I have a couple of questions. One is I'll I'll preface it or I'll start it by saying um I bought some of Rebecca's um unstrained Saint Jones wort um tincture, I think it was last yeah, last summer. And it's amazing and really beautiful. And I still had some left this summer. And this was the first year where all of the St. Jones Ward that I planted flowered. And so I was so excited because down here I live in North Carolina and we don't have it everywhere. Um, and so I had, I had um, planted a lot last year and this is the first year it flowers. And so I've made two pints, which I'm really pleased with. And... Um, I'm noticing it's turning a beautiful color, but Rebecca's is more red. <laughs> and I'm just curious about, it's only been in the vodka for about three weeks. The red happens so within the first couple of hours. It turns red right away. So there's a variety of things that influence that. And they okay. all center around how much oil is in the flowers and the leaves. Okay. The further north you are, and thus the more sun there is, the more that oil there will be. Okay. Yep. Right. When I pick Hypericum in northern Ontario or Nova Scotia, it is the most incredible, brilliant red. Mm-hmm. The further south you get, the less red it will be. 
Okay. The fresher the blossom, the more oil it will have. Gretchen Gould taught, teaches us how to recognize the flower that's blooming that day and to pick only that flower. Mm-hmm. For the reddest possible product. The more flower you use, the redder it will be. So if you pick just flowers that are blooming, it will be redder than if you pick flowers like whole tops, which include flowers that are blooming, flowers and seed, and dead flowers, as well as flower buds, which will nonetheless be redder than if you pick the leafy tops, which include leaves, and there's still some of the oil in the leaves, and they all make usable remedies. Mm Mm-hmm. It will be redder the hotter it is when you pick it and the hotter it has been before you've picked it. Yes, and we've had a cool summer so far. Exactly. Like, strangely, like, pleasant. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Okay? Okay, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, and I wasn't, I mean, it seems like it's it's really nice so far. It's it's going to work fine. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I was just super curious about Yeah, what I reject is if he says, here's my hypericum oil and it's green. I'm like, no, not good enough. It has to at least have some color. Yeah, yeah, my oil is less red, which I was disappointed by. I've only done like one exactly. little pint of oil. And right. it's a, it's less, it's and got, for that it's got reason, a little bit. Gretchen usually puts her oil where the sun puts it in clear glass and lets the sun shine on it for the first day or two, carefully taking it inside at night. Okay, all right. To bump up the color, and she only uses the very freshest flowers for the oil. Okay. I might have to, I mean, I'll use the one I've made so far, but I might try another small batch just to see if I can get it a little bit redder, just for fun. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Cool. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, okay, another question is, um, I found... I'm in the Piedmont of North Carolina, and there's not tons of Japanese knotweed. In fact, I've never seen it, and I've been looking for it. And I just found a small patch of it. And I was wondering, I've heard about it for Lyme's disease, and I live in a rural area. Against infections that come with Lyme. Okay, thank you. Yes. Taking it will not give you Lyme disease, so it's not for Lyme disease. Okay, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, to treat um, what comes with Lyme's disease. Yes, absolutely. And um, just curious, it is. It last time I checked, it was like a week ago, and it was flowering. Is it a an okay? I know that sometimes medicines are more potent when or preferable in the um, dormant, like when they're not leaving out. So I was just curious about harvesting the root right now of the Japanese knot. So why would you want to harvest the root when it's not leaving out? Because it's got all the energy in it from the growing And all the constituents. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. When the plant, especially when the plant is flowering, the energy and the constituents are in the flower, in the reproductive organs, right? Mm -hmm. And they're considered to be the least available in the root at that point. Okay. So, again, you can't ruin it by doing it, but it won't be as effective as if you wait and let the root, starting from the day after summer solstice, and we are in that week after summer solstice, starting from then as the light day by day wanes, the plants as they flower are going to start sequestering things down into their roots. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, spring is when it's all flowing up and away from the roots and going into the leaves and to give it the energy to flower and make seed. And then after that happens, then energy goes back into the root. Okay. Correct. Awesome. Wonderful. So my last question is, um, do you have any, um, I'm sure you have thoughts, but do you have any guidance around if uh, I were interested in starting to pay attention to, I guess, what what you call like divination, so animal, um, yeah, paying attention to natural signs and animals. I would suggest Um, book. The world is your oracle. The world is your oracle. Okay. And I apologize to the wonderful woman who wrote it, whose name is not on the tip of my tongue and should be. Okay, yeah. Great. I will check it out. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, have a great night. Thank you. Good night. Good night. How many more do we have, Rebecca? We have two more callers with their hands raised in about nine minutes before Max arrives. The next caller is like coming a from the night. You know, I think one time I didn't brush my teeth till 4 p.m. and I was like, <laughs> and I live alone, so I had no stress outlet, you know. And I was just like, um, do you know you're on the air? Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I don't think she's Okay. <laughs> the next caller is coming from the 516 area code. Hi, Susan. It's Kimberly. Hi. Who is hey, it? It's Kimberly. Hi, Casey. How are you? Hey, um, I found a fairly large uh, dark spot on the top of my scalp, and all of my celandine died, and I'm curious as to whether or not there is a dried sap solution or do I just have to plant these seeds and wait for the celandine to come up? A dried sap solution and tincture does not work as a direct application to get rid of that. Have you had it biopsied? I have not. I have just been sitting with it and um, when I had my hair cut um, I asked the hairdresser to have a look, and he said, yeah, it's pretty large and it's flat to your scalp. You probably want to have it looked at. And I don't have my ally, Celandine, here with me to, you know, to tell me, you know, further what to do. But I was definitely, you know, trying to get some, and they can't ship it because it's too hot now, and they'll die in transit. Exactly. So I have to see. These won't start now because it's so hot. But I'm going to start them indoors because it's just too hot down here. But... With this um, I, aggressive I, skin cancer, you don't have that time to wait, Casey. So get to the doctor and have it looked at. At least have a biopsy so you know which way you're going. Gotcha. Okay. Right. That's what I needed, my love. Thank you. Okay. I love you. Mwah. Mwah. And this caller is coming from the 512 area code. Hello. Hi. What's up tonight? Hi, Susan. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? I am doing fine. I'm calling because I have a question for you about passion flower. And I was told recently um, there's a book called The 
Spiritual Properties of Herbs by Garudas. I haven't read the book, I'll but you, the, that's the dumbest spirit I've ever met. What I, I don't know anything about it. Well, Garuda uh, thinks that goldenrod causes allergies. So, like, how bright is that? It, that what causes allergies? Goldenrod, solidago. Oh, goldenrod can really? cause allergies. It's insect pollinated. Only wind pollinated plants cause allergies. Right. I was like, wondering. And rule one: Do not take advice from anybody who can't get a body. <laughs> want to give me advice? Get embodied, and you come here and give me advice. I'm not taking advice from any disembodied beings. There's no way for them to appreciate what it is to be in a body. Oh, that's fascinating. That's so. <laughs> that's so spot on. I yeah, I didn't know it was written from. <laughs> that perspective the the question i wanted to ask though was pertaining to pesiflora incarnata it grows prolifically on my property and um it well, recently you must be somewhere warm yes i am i'm in bastrop texas and i have been um people have complained about it because it grows, instead of grass, I have a, a forest garden. And it has seemingly grown closer and closer to the road where people walk by. And uh, I feel like Can you grab their ankles and eat them? Can you do it? No, I said are they afraid it's going to grab their ankles and eat them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, people are super curious about the passion flower. Everybody that walks by asks me about it if I'm out does there. It does it fruit? A little, barely. But I mostly use the flowers and the leaves and stems and yeah. um, make tinctures and teas. Like and the wild one doesn't make very big fruits, but of course, passion fruit is a cultivated passion flower. Makes mm-hmm. very large and very delicious fruits. Right. Which I guess further south you go, you find more of this. But this one right. is the the medicinal. And right. I I was curious about it because what they said was that it protected against uh, radiation, like from EMF, microwave radiation. And I wanted to know if but you, you had know what? any. Anything can protect against microwave um, radiation because there is no radiation in a microwave. So what's the EMF? Effect. Electromagnetic or, frequencies, not radiation. Uh, and it's like microwave don't, elephant don't powder produce. around my house. I do it every day, and it really works. There's no elephants here. <laughs> okay. So you're saying any plant can protect you against EMS? I'm saying any plant can protect you against radiation, which isn't there. Right. So, I'm not saying that it protects you against electromagnetic frequencies. So, uh-huh. how do you set up a, a magnet? How do you make a magnet? How do you make um, a generator? You take, generally, you take an iron bar and you wrap copper wire around it and you make an electromagnetic generator. They're the heart of these small engines. And that is exactly what we believe the most of the Earth is. 
the Earth herself is the largest electromagnetic generator. In fact, the yeah. Earth is the large electromagnetic generator that it causes an field of electrical magnetic energy to completely surround the Earth, gives rise to the aurora borealis, and protects us from the radiation of the sun. Yes. Without the electromagnetic field of the Earth, we would be fried by radiation. So, again, electromagnetic frequencies protect us against radiation. We don't need something to protect us against the radiation not caused by electromagnetic frequencies. Sure. Are you following me? Yes, I'm following. I'm following you. And the thing that I'm concerned of is Wi-Fi, I guess, the Wi-Fi radiation, the Wi-Fi frequencies, not radiation. Right, it's not radiation. Right, the frequencies. These are frequencies, exactly. Um, Well, you know my friend Ryan Drum, who I had a telesummit seminar with last Thursday, and a lot moved to an island where there was no power of any because he wanted to harvest herbs were unaffected by frequencies of generating power. And he is On the other hand, I suggest you probably live in a soup of it. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it's kind of like holding a sheet of paper over your head when it's raining. Right. My choice is to strengthen my immune system by eating high-quality food, mushrooms, seaweed. (laughs) Diet varied. Choosing organic where it's important, especially in dairy products and meat. And uh, we have 30 seconds before Max's. Okay. Well, I will let you go then. And thank you for thank you for your time and everything you, that you're doing. You are welcome, and hooray for Passiflora! What a wonderful plant. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Good night. Good night. I'd known Max Dashu since the very very early days of the Wise Woman Center. When I first opened the Wise Woman Center. I envisioned it as being a place where the most interesting women having to do with women's spirituality and women's power would come and teach. And so Max was one of the very first people that I invited to come here. We had to hang a sheet in the studio and look at her slides. We really were ill-prepared for her. And I saw very quickly that I was not a good venue for her, that she needed, um, you know, the kind of technical support even way back then that I didn't have. But I have always loved and followed Max Dashu. She is a land walker and a history sibyl who uses images to teach women's global history and heritage. Her legendary slideshows bring to light women of power who've been hidden from view. From ancient icons to female leaders, culture makers, rebels, and medicine women. In 1970, Max Dashu founded the Suppressed Histories Archives to research women in the global cultural record. She now has a collection of over 
thousand images. And she has created and presented hundreds of slideshows to all kinds of audiences, conferences all over the world, Italy, Switzerland, Britain, Australia, Germany, Mexico, Bulgaria, Guatemala, and of course, the U.S. of A. Max Dashu also teaches via webcasts, online courses, audio podcasts, and the daily Suppressed Histories posts on Facebook. She's the author of Witches and Pagans, Women in European Folk Religion, the first volume in her source book, Secret History of the Witches. She has produced two DVDs, Woman Shaman, The Ancients, and Women's Power in Global Perspective, and... Her most recent publication is the Deosophy Coloring Book. And I also want to say that where the apprentice has lived is decorated on virtually every wall with fantastic posters that Max has put together from her images, beautifully framed since I live in Woodstock, to really show them off. I certainly um, cherish and value Max and her work enormously. Welcome to the show, Max. Thank you, Susan. I hope I find you well. You do. We even roomed together at least once, maybe a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the Suppressed Histories Archives is 50 years old, huh? That's right. We passed the marker. Well, you know, really it was in November, but I count just by the winter, you know, because it was not one moment where it, it, it didn't exist and then it existed. But I really undertook all of this in the winter of 1969 to 70. Right. And so that I was the starting point. I think it was about years later say, that I first invited you to the Wise Woman Center. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't long after. Uh, I, I, for, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to start an archive. My real imperative was that I felt like I knew that I was going to have to assemble evidence for what I found because I knew from from my college experience that you were not allowed to say that there were major cultural societies. They didn't want to hear about goddesses. All these things were verboten. And so I knew that anything that I wanted to, to uh, that I was researching had to be documented. You know, and that's really partly how I got into using images so much to teach. Because seeing is believing. You know, you can tell when the picture the photograph of the dancer, you can tell if she's in her body. You can, you can see that. You can see the power. And that's true of the ancient art also. So um, that's, that was really, I, I thought, well, I'll collect some of these images. I'll have a certain amount of goddess images, and that will be that. But it turned into this, it snowballed, what can I say? <laughs> it snowballed you know, time. One of the ways that I have used images is with the very famous uh, so-called Venus of Willendorf. And it always amused me that when, and there are great many Venuses from this time in Turkey that had been found, that when the male archaeologists found them, they said, oh, fertility figures. Now, I look at that. I don't see a pregnant woman. I see a postmenopausal woman. Yeah. yeah I call in my book, I actually, you know, draw one of them and draw from the side and say, look at this, right? A pregnant belly goes out, this belly goes down. Pregnant breasts go out, these breasts go down. This is a woman in her 50s or 60s. Don't let them tell you that women didn't used to go through menopause. Here is just what you're saying. Here is evidence. Women have left us evidence. This is not the fertile woman. This is the crone. I take it you don't like Venus figures either, the term. 
Yeah, I just wrote an article on my Facebook, on the Suppressed Histories page on Facebook about this. It, it really annoys me because the, even the beginning of the, of the term was a French aristocrat who was being sarcastic. He called it an immodest Venus. And he was basing this on a, on a Roman stereotype of, of Venus pudica, meaning the shameful or the modest Venus. And so he's saying, well, this one's immodest. Ha, ha, ha. And the thing about the term is it really carries through Western culture, this whole stereotype of sex object. And this is how the archaeologists have tended to interpret them. You know, so this guy made up the term, and they all grabbed it with both hands because they loved that. Yes, that's right. You know, these are ancient porn, and all these interpretations flow out of that. And I, I'm really about expanding the parameters of how we look at all of this. You know, and also by way of comparison to indigenous societies where you do have this emphasis on the ancestral women, especially in the major cultures. And so, uh, you know, this article, I, I talk about all this and why I repudiate that name because I feel like it's a very narrowing term, a very restricting term. It, it keeps us in a programmed mindset that was laid in long before we were born, right? It has all these connotations to it. So I think we need to blow up some of the categories that have been set to things because they're intended to control. Exactly. They're intended to imply that only fertile women are useful. Like, can you imagine an archaeologist saying, oh, look at this, a wise old crone. No, exactly. And, and you know, the useful, it's like she's a sex object, you know, she's, she's a mother. You know, sometimes there's mothers. Some of, I, I found some that are pregnant, although it's very strange. These, some of these pregnancies, the belly is pointed. I don't know what that's about, but, um, you know, not pointed in a way that looks like a fat woman. I don't, I don't know what that is. No, but, you know, pointed like sharp. Yes, I've seen some of them, and the breasts, too. Yeah. And the breasts like, watch out, don't grab me. You're going to get pierced. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, I've, my thinking about this has evolved a lot, and I think that what is useful sometimes is to have a multiplicity of ways of describing things. Because in looking at these, as I ha tend to do more and more as ancestral mothers or grandmothers, the... Um, ancestral women, let's say, that I see that on a continuum with goddess. I don't see those as separate categories because there is this continuum in a lot of cultures. And even if you look at Isis and Cabela and some of the famous ancient goddesses, they have an ancestral dimension to them. You know, they speak about Isis as if she once lived on the earth and did things. You know, and, and so this is, this is a common thing, like Demeter and the beginning of farming. You know, there are these stories attached to goddesses, but there's this very deep ancestral connection behind them. So it, there's a complexity in how we can look at this. And then there's, there's the concept of the female divine where you've got the Tao or weird or ma'at, where it's not so much of a personality as it is the divine law, you know, the fates, the this this very profound level of being that can't be characterized as a personality the way that people tend to think of goddesses. So there's a lot of different angles of view, I think, for all of that. When I was studying with Jean Houston, we always teased that we had to bring lots of costumes with us because she would say things like, after lunch, I'd like you to show up as your favorite goddess. And <laughs> one of the great treats of that was a woman who showed up as a spiral Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, really push the envelope there. <laughs> yeah. Or Adita. 
the nothingness. Yeah, yeah, or or the, really the limit. It means the limitless one in a female form. Limitless. So yeah, there's a lot of those those conceptual forms. Right. You have just recently put out a goddess coloring book. What what made you want to do that? Well, you know, the story behind that is I'm still working on the book that was supposed to be out next after my first book, which is in pains. And it was taking a lot longer. This this volume two is going to be about the ancient Greek world, both the goddess heritages and women's ceremony, and also about the rape culture and patriarchy. <laughs> you know, it's it's a real mixed bag. But anyway, it. It, it really involves, there's a massive amount of material, and so I'm still pounding it into shape. And I realized, oh my gosh, I am not going to have this book done in time to publish, and I was raising money to buy a house, my first house. And so I just dropped the manuscript, and I sat down, and in six weeks I pounded out this coloring book, which involved you know, transforming the images and drawing them, basically rendering the images. And so I just did nothing but that, and then I shipped that off. And it was really a fun vacation from the more research-oriented stuff. I mean, each image on the back has a lot of information about her, you know, whatever the stories are that are told, whatever context, sometimes some quotes. But it was the joy of just being doing art. It was like without a care in the world, I could just sit there and do that forever. And I was even taking the drawings to conferences, and I'd be working on them while I'm listening to people. Because I, when I draw, I can listen really good. It's like people when people knit, you know. You don't miss anything. But it's very entertaining at the same time to be drawing. So that, that's how that came about. And, and now I'm hoping by the fall that I'll have Tithias Melusai and Pharmakides ready. That's my next book. Women in Hellenic culture. So and we're going to look Pythia, deep into. Pythia is a snake. Melissa is a sweet-smelling plant. Lemon balm, and I'm going to guess that the um, pharmacidae are herbalists. How far off am I? Mundo. Yeah, that's really the core meaning of pharmacida. Would be the the female singular. Uh, is that it is an herbalist. And that's like pharmacology and pharmacy, all those words derive from that. But in Greek, what happened is you have this demonization of the witch. And so it becomes more and more a word that's used for sorceress. And it's got all these other overlays to it. You know, So we're like, okay, just like with witch, we have to go back and reclaim that power and take apart all the ways they, they pushed it into a corner. You know, so I talk about Medea and I talk about Kirke, you know, the Circe in the, in the Iliad, a lot of different witch figures. There's a, there's a chapter about that. And also about witch accusations and witch trials in ancient Greece, which are really hard to track, but there is evidence of them. So wow. you know, that's, that's the patriarchal side of, of the story. One of the most interesting parts of it is the very first chapter is going to be about the Titanides. So if you read about Greek mythology, you'll hear about the Titans, right? Word that's kind of like the giants. It's like giants, whatever. Giants never really interested me. But the more I looked into this, I realized there are these whole pre-Olympian goddess traditions that are the female Titans. And there's some amazing stories in there. This is just like really the uncolonized female. Is, is buried in those stories. 
and there's genealogies too that shows the interrelationships of things in nature and of beings. So that that's where that's where the narrative begins, and then we go off into, you know, I gotta say this with with the Greeks, I really fought this because we all had the Greeks and Romans shoved down our throats, you know, just about I don't know very many people who got through school, much less the higher education, without having some of that thrust at you. But what they taught us of it was not the good stuff, not the good stuff in the sense of the nectar that we need in order to be fed as women, but also not the important stuff that we need to know about how patriarchy works. You know, they withheld both of that. I, I was absolutely glorified shocked. The, the philosophers and the kings and the warriors and the heroes. We got our yeah, and I was absolutely that. shocked when I learned many years after my formal schooling that basically Greek women weren't allowed out of the house. Yeah, there was there was a lot of female seclusion. And now the more recent wave of scholarship is like, oh, no, that wasn't really true. Hey, look, there was definitely a protocol to this. And point, in fact, there are speeches from Greek men like Demosthenes saying, well, you know, a, a decent woman uh, is one that her name is never mentioned in public. You know, it's just like this complete veil drawn over, over female existence. So that was there. And... We, most of this we know about is from Athens. It wasn't true of the Spartans, not to say that they did not have a patriarchal side to them, but the Spartan women scandalized the Athenians because they did athletics naked, and they came and went as they pleased, and they didn't veil. In fact, they were running around half naked, according to Aristotle. <laughs> you know, So that, that, that scandalized the Greeks, and a lot of the other parts of Greece, we don't have that much information about them. So it's hard to tell how much the Athenian picture applied. But I do find pictures of veiled women from Thebes, you know, from other parts of Greece. So it's a page. And what's interesting about digging into this is that they encoded the stories of the patriarchal takeover into their mythology. It is loaded with gods who are rapists and who go around colonizing the Delphi itself was taken over from the snake woman, the Drakaina, or the Pythia, by Apollo. And they kept the female oracles, but there's this whole, this whole supersession by patriarchal power that appears over and over again and, and pursuits with, with the rapist god chasing after this nymph or that nymph, you know, basically spirits of the waters, the sweet waters. And so it's, it's fascinating because I think most people have been exposed to parts of this. Like everybody knows a little bit about Athena or Aphrodite. Some of these, these goddess stories that do come down to us were given like such a narrow slice. And Demeter, for example, there's this wrathful side to Demeter. They call her the black Demeter, Dem- Demeter Melaina, because she has to endure being raped first by Zeus and then by Poseidon. And when Poseidon gets at her, she just goes into a rage and she becomes this, this dark Demeter. And her daughter that she bears from this is a, she who cannot be named. They call her Despoina, which just means the mistress. But we don't actually know the cult name, you know, the actual name that she was known by when you invoked her because there was this whole mystery around her. And so there's this special story in Arcadia about this mother-daughter pair that's different than a lot of the other legends and it's really hemmed around by this female protectiveness and this female sovereignty. 
it's very marked. So those are and the how, how, how very often we hear the story of Demetra and Persephone, and we never hear that Balbo plays a part in this. Right, right, and and the whole the whole body dance of Balbo and how she caused Demeter to laugh. And one other thing is that this word Melissae actually means bee women, and yes. in Greek. So you know this is a title that was especially applied to the priestesses of Demeter and Persephone. Although we also see the term used in a couple other places, including at Artemis's Temple of Ephesus. And so the animal connections are very archaic. You know, we've got our snake women, we've got our bee women, which really show up in the Cretan and the Mycenaean art. The, some of those seals, you know, you see the goddess seals that are little gold seals. They have women doing ceremony. They're raising their arms and adoring a goddess. And if you look very closely at some of these, like the one from Isopatra, they have bee heads with antennae. They have bee hands and bee feet. They, they're, they, the rest of them look like a woman. But they are part B. So this is a really ancient concept. It goes back at least 2,500 years. The Melissa, the sweet ones, Mm -hmm. the honey ones. Mm -hmm. Yes, how how delicious. I'm Susan Weed, and I'm talking to Max Dashu with the Suppressed History Archives. And what's the best way for people to get in touch with you, Max? Well, you can go to my website, suppresshistories.net. I am on Facebook. Uh, there is an email there on the Suppress History site, the contact thing. And uh, also follow the page on Suppress Histories Archives on Facebook. I post there pretty much every day. And there are a lot. Of, you can look at the photos section. That's the way to follow it. You can look through and find out what, what interests you. And that way you can also see what, what le- webcasts are coming up. I just finished doing one on ancient Italy before the Romans. So yes, I, I always love getting your announcements about what's coming up. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just COVID days. Many people have turned to, you know, doing things online from COVID days, but you've been doing things online a lot. You're now doing Stream yeah. On Demand, and you yeah. also have um, always had a great variety of offerings. Could you tell us more about those? Yeah, the stream on demand I'm really excited about. I've only it took me two years to get get the tech part figured out, and now I have about six videos that you can watch at any time on the on the Teachable platform. So if you just go on Teachable and look for Suppress Histories Portal, it'll show up, or you can access it from my webpage. So the most recent one is called Healers, Curanderas, and Medicine Women. And then there's one on spirit women traditions in China, which is very interesting, the shamanic Wu and goddesses like Si Wang Mu. And then there's a show on sacred signs. You can go in there and look around. I'm going to be doing uh, uh, putting another one in there soon on ancient treasures of African women. So it's eventually going to be a resource that, you know, unlike the webcasts where you're on Zoom and there's a time and there's a date, this, it's like if you're up at 2 in the morning and you can't sleep, you can just jump on there and, and look at something, you know. And it, it's just up permanently, which has been my goal all this time. Yay! <laughs> can you share with us some insights as to how images impact us differently than words? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is something where you get a body response. Because, you know, it goes in through your eyes, and it's not just... 
it's not linear in the way that words are. I mean, words are sequential. But when you're gazing at an image, it's, there's something about it that I really analogize it to melody. Like, you know, a picture will have a certain flavor. It'll have a certain fragrance to it that really savors of that time and place. And, of course, some of the pictures we see are just embedded with the cultural spills of patriarchy. But others, when you see a Fonti priestess from Dahomey and she's dancing so vigor- vigorously that her body is crouched over the earth, you can see her limbs are just moving ecstatically, and you see the power in that, you feel that in your gut. You are not just analyzing something anymore. You're seeing this is real. You're feeling that it's real. And so for me, the, what I see, and I, this, I've experienced this so many times because I've done how many hundreds of slideshows over the decades, is that women will always have this very visceral reaction. And they'll also ask, why have we not been shown any of this before? Why don't we know about this? Because there's this, this gatekeeping that happens with culture. And until very recently, women didn't have access to ways to share this. So the images, if you're stuck with print, then you're kind of stuck into that rationalistic mode. And it doesn't allow you, like even if I sit there and tell you, okay, this is this symbol and this is what it means and here's a story behind it and you know, this is what this ancient scripture says about it. There are levels of meaning there that are good to know, but when you're looking at it, you're having an actual spiritual response. And so you may be seeing a picture of a group of women from a matrilineal society and you can see how they are with each other. There's, there's things that go beyond words. You feel them, and it has a direct impact. I, I think that women are demoralized because we've grown, grown up under these severe constraints that patriarchy lays down. And this is like medicine for that because you get to see what it looks like when it's not like that. Even, even a piece of it you know, gives you a different picture because we are shown such a severely edited out picture that it's, it deludes us into thinking that that is reality, that the way that they've packaged things to us somehow reflects reality. And in my process of digging, you know, library prospecting over all these years, there's a way in which I'm still surprised sometimes when I find a new mother load of hidden cultural treasures they're there. They've been there all along. But, you know, now with the net exploding the way it is, I'm, it's like the whole process has accelerated <laughs> so massively because I, just, I can just sit there and download things, boom, 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 and then all I have to do is just edit them and I'm done. You know, label them. Where no more trekking back and forth with piles of books, libraries, you know, slide development. All those, all the, all those labors are done because <laughs> now it's all digital. So... It's, and especially it's with really the COVID days, with so many museums basically just oh, opening up yeah. their digital archives to everyone. I know, I know, and I, I'm just loving that. And what, you know, last year I traveled more than I'd ever have, and I was I got to go to Italy for several weeks, and so I went around to the museums in Florence and Rome and Torino, which is one of the best ancient Egyptian museums in the oh, world. The ancient Egyptian museum in Torino, I could like camp there for a week. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah. 
So, you know, I would just go in there and intensively go there through there with my cell phone. I mean, I don't carry a camera around when I'm traveling, but now it's like the technology has accelerated all this because I was able to take photos of all of this. And the, I'm telling you, the Etruscan museums, whew, there are so many things that we've never seen. I mean, you get they kind of show you the same murals over and over again. You know, you might get to see female dancers or something. But there's all this other stuff. There's some of the really archaic Etruscan finds. There are breast pots that are black burnished pattern breast pots that probably come up to your thighs. You know, they're pretty large. And that's part of a global pattern. I have a whole show about breasts that's breast pots and everything you could man, you know, doors, wall murals, all these different things, pectorals in the fountains in the form of breasts. And, but the breast pot is very, very, very international. So we see that in South America, Central America, North America, Europe, Africa, you know, various countries in Africa, and um, parts of Asia. So this is what I mean by gatekeeping. It's why don't we know this? And there, there again, when you sit there and you see these images of many different types of breast pots, you are seeing this reflection of women's ceremony across thousands and thousands of years into the past. They're all dead. The cloth that they wove has dissolved into dirt. You know, the carvings may not have survived, but ceramics holds up really well if it's been fired, right? And so you can see that. You can see in the ancient female figurines elements of women's ritual because you see their tattoos or their ceremonial paint-up on their body. You may see headdresses. You may see them holding libation vessels in their hands. There's all these ways that we can read the archaeological record to get a glimpse into women's ceremonial life 5,000 years ago, 7,000 years ago, 800 years ago. It depends where you are on the planet, you know, the dating on all this. Max, that's huge, and the suppressed histories archives. If you are not already looking at this and turned on to this, I hope that this evening has introduced you to it. You know, I talk about reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients, and I often talk about mm-hmm. the threads that we add to that. To me, Max Dashu is one of the women who has laid down the warp that we weave upon. She has gone through all of these decades, through 50 years, gone and found these images for us that rise up in our hearts, in our bellies, and in our minds and remind us and reawaken in us what it is to be double X, what it is to be woman, born of woman. Thank you so much for talking with me tonight, Max. At the very beginning of the show, I said, you know, once I get to talking with Max, I just wanted to go on and on and on. I honor you (laughs) and cherish you so much. May you live long, prosper, and continue to help all women gain more power. Thank you, Max. And 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 so may you live as, as well. May you live in health, Susan Weed. Thank you, Max. I really appreciate it. May we room together again sometime at a wonderful... <laughs> when goddess. we're traveling again. <laughs> yes, when we're traveling again. And Rebecca, our loving arms embrace you 
as you go through the difficult passage of separating from the father of your children. We love you and we care about you very much. And hey, Justine, you the best. Love you, Mom. <laughs> Green blessings, everybody. Remember, herbal medicine is people's medicine. It's of the people, by the people, and for the people. Talk to you next week. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Good night.